Chapter Eleven of Dodo Wonders by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crow Girl. Chapter Eleven, Dodo's Night Out. It was within ten days of the completion of the fourth year of the war, and since the spring, every morning had brought an extra turn of the screw, tightening a little more and again a little more the tension of the final and most desperate campaign of all. Late in March, there had opened the last series of the furious German offensives, any one of which, it seemed, might have battered its way through to Paris or the Channel ports. Day by day, territory captured by the enemy in their first irresistible invasion of French soil, and won back yard by yard in three and a half years of warfare, had been passing behind the German lines again. Once more the Germans, advancing in that grim dance of death as in some appalling quadrille, had taken Peron, had taken Balul, had swarmed up over Kemmel Hill, had recaptured Soissons, had broken across the Marne. All that could be said was that neither materially nor psychically had the tension quite reached breaking point. No irremediable breach in the lines had been made, and there was still enough spirit left in the nation to shout over the glorious adventure of Zeebrugge. Finally, the counter-offensive of the Allies had begun, and today Jack brought to Winston, where the hospital was crammed to overflowing, the news that the Germans had been forced to retreat over the Marne again. Dodo had entirely refused to learn any sort of lesson from her breakdown, and for the last two years had taken no further holiday beyond an occasional day off when David was at home from school, or a flying expedition to the hospital in London. But instead of being served out for her obstinacy, she had remained a glorious testimony of the health-giving properties of continuous overwork, and had shown not the faintest signs of another collapse. Jack, the matron, the doctor, had all done their best to induce her to be more sensible without the slightest success, and today she was lucidly explaining to her husband how wrong they had all been and why. The only thing that can really tire one is thinking, she said, and since I came back from Truscombe two years ago I haven't thought for two minutes. My mind has been like a painted ship upon a painted ocean, and very badly painted, too. That's why I'm the life and soul of the party. I have become like one of the cheerful beasts that perish, and I have thought as little about the war as about astronomy. It didn't occur to any of you that it wasn't the acting of silly charades or the ordering of aspirin or the giving out of bandages and books that made me collapse— it was letting my mind dwell on the reason for which I was doing it. But if you will only become a machine, as I have, and go on doing things without thinking why, they are as effortless as breathing. I shall never get out of the groove now, you know. I shall go on counting blankets and going to bed at eleven and getting up at seven till the end of my life. My dear, what did we all do before the war? The only effort I ever make is trying to remember that, and I never succeed. I think we talked, just talked. "'Precisely what I'm doing now, by the way, but I used to be such an agreeable rattle, such clever chatter, God forgive me.' Jack began to laugh. "'Go on, rattle,' he said. "'I couldn't. If you rattle, you have to say anything that comes into your head and try to think what it means afterwards. It was the old style of conversation which I invented when I was young. Nowadays I mean something first and say it afterwards. At least, I do sometimes. When the war is over, I shall become a Delphic oracle.' "'Do!' "'How will you set about it?' he asked. "'I shall advertise in the personal column of the Times "'for some retired oracle who will give me lessons. "'Besides, when once you get the reputation of being an oracle, "'you have only got to say nothing at all, "'and everyone says how extraordinarily wise you are. "'Rich silences. Such nonsense.' 
I thought you were going to stop in your groove and give out blankets and aspirin, said Jack. I was looking forward to a remarkable old age. Dodo looked round her on the quiet, familiar scene. She had strolled out across the park to meet her husband, and they had sent the motor on with his luggage and had sauntered home through the woods. At the edge of them, when they had come within sight of the house, stately and sunny below them, with the Red Cross flag drooping on its staff, they had sat down in the shade before facing the heat of the open ground, now yellowed and parched by three months of strong heat. Even in the middle of summer the beeches were already tinged with gold. Now and then a leaf dropped from its withered stem and came spinning down through the windless air. "'Oh, don't let us be remarkable, whatever we are,' said she. "'Let us go gently Darby and joning it down the hill, Jack, and watch David skipping about. He got swished the other day at Eton. Oh, I promise not to tell you.' "'Go on, then,' said Jack. "'Well, I've done it now. He made a book on the Darby, or whatever did duty for the Darby last month, and won thirty shillings, so he considered it well worth it. He bought me a delicious little mother-of-pearl box out of his winnings, which came to bits at once. Then, when he was caught, he had to return his winnings, so the poor darling was out of pocket.' "'So you sent him a tip,' remarked Jack. "'Naturally. That's all, by the way. But it really does worry me to wonder what we shall all do when the war is over.' Personally, I shall be extremely cross and bored. I know I shall, and yet it will be very odd of me. Considering that there is nothing that I have really wanted for the last four years except the end of the war, it seems rather strange that I should miss it. The great, brutal, bloody monster. I would give literally anything in the world except you and David and a few trifles of that sort if it would stop this minute, and if it did, I, I should yawn. And the thought of beginning other things again would make me feel lazy. But I dare say I shall be dead long before that. Gracious me, Jack, what was my life before the war? If you had to write my biography, you could only say that I rattled. I suppose that has been my profession, while yours has been to listen to me without ever really wanting to divorce me. But I never talked in my sleep, there's that to be said for me. You do. And the last time you were here you woke me by calling out, Sicklehocked! Take it away! "'The further the better,' said Jack. Dodo wrinkled up her eyes as she looked out over the hot, bright noon. "'All the same, I had a very good mare once that was sickle-hocked,' she said. "'I called her Influenza so that I shouldn't get it, and she had rather long eyes like Nadine. "'Oh, Jack, I quite forgot to tell you. "'I had a joyous telegram from Nadine to say that Hughie had crashed out in France and had broken his arm. "'She was pleased. "'But why?' asked he. "'Darling, you are dull. He's safely tucked up in hospital, and with any luck he will be transferred to town. Isn't it lovely for her? He won't be able to fly again for months.' Dodo gave an awful groan. "'Oh, I'm thinking about the war,' she said. "'What are we coming to? Here are Nadine and I simply delighted, because Hughie's broken his arm. That's singular, you know, if you come to think of it. We hope it will take a long time to mend, so that he won't be able to fly again yet.' "'Perhaps he won't be wanted to,' said Jack." Why? Jack lit a cigarette, and with the flaring match burned a withered beech leaf that had fallen on the turf without replying. I don't want to say too much, he began at length. Darling, you're not saying anything at all at present, said she. I know. Perhaps it's best not to. Besides, you don't want to hear about the war. Dodo waved her hands wildly. But get on, she said. You speak as if there's something good to be heard. What do you mean? As if I wouldn't give my... My shell-like ears to hear something good. My dear, the number of times I've chucked the paper away because the headlines only said, New German Offensive, Slight Loss of Ground Near Parlez-Vous. Go on, Jack, or I shall burst. 
"'Well, do you know anything about the position on the West Front?' asked he. "'Nothing whatever. I only know it's a beastly front.' Jack took his stick and drew a long line with two bulges in it on the short turf. "'That lower bulge is the Marne,' he said, "'and the upper run is round about Amiens.' "'Where one has coffee on the way to Paris,' said Dodo breathlessly. "'Yes. They battered away at the Marne bulge and have now had to go back. Then they battered alternately at the Amiens bulge, and it isn't bulging any worse.' There was no earthly reason why the Huns shouldn't have walked straight through to Abbeville, which is there, last week. They meant to give us a knockout in one place or the other, but how shall I explain it? Anyhow, said Dodo. Jack clenched his fist and drew back his arm. Well, I'm the Hun, he said, and it's a boxing match. Your chin there, darling, is quite defenceless, and I can knock you out if I have enough weight behind me to give you a good punch. But I haven't. It looks as if I was exhausted." I can just advance my arm like that, but I can't hit. You're rather done too, but you can just grin at me and wait till you get stronger. But I shan't get stronger. I'm fought out. Dodo put up her hands to her forehead. But ever since March we've been thrust back and back, she said. Yes, and now we're going to begin. Dodo made a wild gesticulation in the air. I won't think about it, she said. You must remember the idea of the Russian steamroller and the Queen Elizabeth steaming up the Dardanelles. Oh, Jack, it's a trick. They're going to break through in Kamchatka or somewhere, and I won't think about that either. We've got to go pounding along and not attend to what is happening. I want a map, though. Do be an angel and get me an enormous map with plenty of flags and pins, and I'll hang it up in the dining room. One may as well be ready, and you have to order things long before you want them. Jack, if you were obliged to bet when the war would be over, obliged, I mean, because I should cut your throat if you refused, when would you say? Name the day, darling. Can't said he. Don't be so ridiculous. Name the year, then, or the century. Nineteen hundred and eighteen, said he. Pish. Very well, pish, said Jack. Suddenly Dodo's mouth began to tremble. Jack, you're not playing the fool, are you, she said. Do you mean that? I do. There's a man called Falk, and there are a million Americans now in France. An Australian boy the other day told me that they're rather rough fighters. Bless them, said Dodo. By all means. Now don't build too much on it. It's only what some people think. I won't think about it, but I want a map. Gracious, it means a lot to want a map again. I got an atlas August four years ago and colored Togoland red. Dodo sniffed the air. I really believe I can smell greens cooking for dinner, she said. And I can certainly see a lot of those boys in blue suits moving about on the lawn like ants. That's all I must think about. But do you know what I'm stopping myself from thinking about? Don't laugh when I tell you. David's thirteen, you know, and in four years from now, for quite a long time, Jack didn't laugh. Dodo got what she described as a life-size map of France, and an immense quantity of pins to which were attached cardboard flags of the warring nations. The map was put up at one end of the men's dining room, practically covering the wall, and morning by morning, standing on a stepladder, she gleefully recorded the advance of the Allies and the retreat of the Huns, in accordance with the information conveyed by the daily communique. Eh bien, she said, we must take out all those German flags and put English ones in instead. We shall be able to get coffee again there on the way to Paris, unless the Huns have poisoned all the supplies in the refreshment room, which is more than probable, and put booby traps in the buns, so that they explode in your mouth. Look, a German flag has fallen out of Beaupalme all of its own accord. That's a good omen. It's hardly worthwhile putting it back. Isn't it a blessing we've got more French flags? Now we can make Soissons a pincushion of them. 
but it's a long way to Berlin yet. I believe you'll have to join up, David, before we get there. Why not make a betting book about the date we get to Berlin? Oh, there's a place called Bircham. What an extraordinary coincidence. Give me some more American pins. Through August, the advance continued, sweeping on during September back through Peron and through the drocourt Kion line, until late in the month the Hindenburg line was broken, and Dodo pulled out the most stubborn of all the rows of German pins. All according to plan, as the German communique tells us, she said. What a good thing their plans coincide so exactly with ours. They didn't want to hold the Hindenburg line any longer. They had got tired of being so long in one place and thought they would like a change. And by the greatest good luck, we agreed that a change would be nice for them. That's all that's happened. They had been abroad for four years, and it was high time to think of getting home. What liars! My dear, what liars! Presently they will get tired of being in Cambrai, and so, according to plan, they will leave that. I should love to be the German emperor for precisely five minutes to see what he feels like. Then I would be myself again and gloat. Wanted on the telephone, am I? Nobody must touch those pins. I must put every one of them in myself. Tomorrow I will be unselfish and let somebody else do it, but not today. Just according to plan. October came and flung a flaming torch among the beaches, and the thick dews brought out the smell of autumn and dead leaves in the woods and meadows. Once for two days a gale from the southwest roared through the grey rainy sky, strewing the lawn with the wreck of the woodland, but when that was past the weather became crystal clear again, with days of warm windless sun and evenings that grew chilly and mornings when the hoar-frost lay white on the grass. Cambrai was regained, and the British armies marched back into Le Cateau of evil memory, and the French flag flew once more over Léon. The tide of victory swept too along the channel and before the end of the month the waters of freedom washed the whole Belgian coast clean of the dust of its defilement. And not along the French front alone was heard the crash of the ruinous fortress of the Huns, nor there alone leapt the flames that rose ever higher round the crumbling walls of their monstrous Valhalla, shining brighter as the dusk deepened to night in the halls of their war-god. For to the east Damascus had fallen, Nearer at hand, Bulgaria lay like a cracked and rotten nut, black and shattered. The Italian armies recrossed the Piave, and on the last day of the month the Allied fleet steamed through the Dardanelles, past silent guns and deserted bastions, to receive the surrender of the Turks. For four years of war the grim tower of Central Europe had stood firm, now, as its outlying forts surrendered, it shook to its foundations, the fissures widened in its tottering walls, and the dusk gathered. It tottered, and with a crash a wall fell in, for in the first days of November Austria surrendered, and at Kiel the German sailors mutinied. Two days later full powers were given by the Versailles Conference to Marshal Foch, of whom Dodo had now heard, to treat with the German envoys who came to sue for an armistice. And next day Sedan fell to the Americans. Sedan was rather a favorite town with the Huns till just now, said Dodo, as she dropped the German pin on the floor and made an American porcupine of the place. Now they won't like it quite so much, and I'm sure I don't wonder. What did the cocks say in Sedan when they woke up the hens in Sedan this morning? Nobody can guess, so I'll tell you. They said, Yankee doodle-doo. Amen. Give me some more American pins. Yankee! She gave a loud squeal. I've put an American pin into my finger instead of into Sedan, she said. I want a disinfectant and a sterilized bandage and some more pins. 
Look, I've shed my blood on the French front. Give me a wound stripe and a sedan chair and let me try to be sensible. It won't be any good, but we may as well try. Dodo had arranged a week ago to run up to London on November the ninth, because David was coming up from Eton on leave that day to see a dentist, and because Monday had been notified to her as a day of inspection for the hospital at Chesterford House. It must therefore be distinctly understood that the fall of Sedan and the powers granted to Marshal Falk had nothing to do with the date of this expedition. The visit to the London hospital had to be made, and if David was coming up on the ninth, it was indicated, with the force of a providential leading, that she should amalgamate these two events into one visit. Saturday afternoon, when the dentist was numbered with past pains, should be given to David. Sunday would be Sunday, and she would get back to Winston on Monday night. David would see his dentist in the morning, and Dodo accordingly left the house early, before the paper had come in, so that she would be ready for him by lunchtime in London. That day the German envoys were to be received by Marshal Falk, who would hand them, so it was understood, the terms on which Germany would be granted an armistice. It was believed also that if the terms were accepted, the armistice would come into force on the morning of the 11th. The terms, whatever they were, had been agreed upon by the Versailles Conference earlier in the week. David appeared soon after Dodo had reached Chesterford House. "'Oh, it was too exciting,' he said. "'I had gas, Mummy. Wasn't it grand?' They put a cage over my mouth, and I began to get buzzy in my head, and then before I got really buzzy, I was all bloody instead, and the beastly thing was gone. It was like a conjuring trick, and the Emperor has given up, and I am so hungry. Look where it came out. Darling, what's happened to the Emperor? she asked. Resigned, whatever they call it. Look at the hole. David opened his mouth to the widest. I never saw such a big hole, said Dodo. But where did you hear about the Emperor? On a newsboard. May we have lunch? And what shall we do all this afternoon? I needn't go back till the six o'clock from Paddington. Has it stopped bleeding? The terms of the armistice were accepted, and at eleven o'clock on Monday morning, the roar of cannon and moan of shells, which for more than four years had boomed and wailed without intermission over Europe, were still. The news of that and the silence of it came with a reverberation as stunning as had been the first shock of war, even as England breathed one long sigh of relief to know that her honour had demanded war, so now, silent for a moment, she sighed as she put back in its scabbard the sword that her honour had drawn. Then she proceeded to celebrate the event. Dodo was not so foolish as to struggle against the invincible, and with greater wisdom sent a long telegram to Winston, announcing that she was unavoidably detained in London that night. That was quite true, for the necessity of being here, in the hub of all things, was inexorable. To see the streets and the crowds tonight, to hear the shouting, to be one with the biggest mass of people that could be found, was as imperative as breathing. Nadine rang her up on the telephone and asked her to dine and look at the crowds, and she said she was dining with Edith. Edith rang her up and suggested looking at the crowds, and she said she was dining with Nadine. Jack, who had come up that day, proposed a window at the Marlborough Club, for there was certain to be a demonstration opposite, and she said she was dining with Edith and Nadine. A further inquiry came from a place where the biggest crowds were expected as to whether she was up in town, and she said she was at Winston, and almost curtsied to the telephone. Having told so many lies, nothing else mattered, 
and after eating a poached egg she went quite mad, put on a mackintosh and an old large hat, and sneaked off from the house into the streets, forgetting to take a latch-key, but remembering to take a quantity of small change. She wanted only to be in the crowd and of the crowd, and not to be shut up in the window of a club, decorously watching its passage, but to be merged in it, to get shoulder to shoulder with it, to look into its heart. Hyde Park Corner was in a flood, from the gate of her house to St. George's on one side and to the top of Constitution Hill on the other, pavements and roadways seethed with the glad huddle of humanity. Here and there was a motor or an omnibus quite unable to move forward through the crowd, being used as a vantage point for those who wanted to see more. There was a taxi just opposite her gate. Half a dozen folk were sitting on the roof of it. Two more were by the driver and were in charge of the horn. During the day an attempt had been made to scrape the obscuring paint off the street lamps, and something of the old warm glow of London diffused itself over the long darkened ways. Everywhere were vendors of festive apparatus, and Dodo instantly bought balls of coloured paper ribbons, which shot out in an agreeable curve when you projected them, and whistles, and a small lead file which she incautiously uncorked, and which instantly discharged a spray of odious scent into her face. Born from the dregs of the people, she thought exultantly to herself. There were two strong tides at the corner, one setting towards Constitution Hill, the other flowing along Piccadilly. Dodo meant to go along Piccadilly, but she got into the other tide, and after a vain attempt to extricate herself, was swept along by it. It was running so strongly that it was surely going towards some place of importance, and then she suddenly remembered that at the bottom of the hill lay Buckingham Palace. That would do excellently, and as she got near it, above the chatter and songs of the crowd, there rose a long, continuous roar of shouting voices. Quite helpless in this great movement, she was cast forth upon the steps of the Victoria Monument, and there in front of her was a row of lighted windows with a balcony, and a silhouette of heads and shoulders against the light. The shouting had collected itself into singing now, a certain rhythm directed it, and a kind of fugal chorus was in progress, some singing one line of the national anthem, and some another, and stopping every now and then to cheer. "'Frustrate their knavish tricks!' shouted Dodo at the top of her voice, and then being very hoarse, she blew piercingly on her whistle. The tide swept her off again into the comparative gloom and quiet of the mall, but the roar of the streets and their illumination increased as the crowd flowed up between St. James' Palace and Marlborough House. She got into the stream which flowed along the south side of Pall Mall, noticed Jack at the window of his club, and had tried to attract his attention, with as much success as if she had attempted to signal to the man in the moon. She passed Edith, who, jammed in the crowd along the north side, was passing in the reverse direction, and they screamed pleasantly at each other, but were powerless to approach. And away she went up Regent Street into the central babble of all London in Piccadilly Circus. Here, like a leaf in some resistless eddy of bright eyes and shouting mouths, she was trundled helplessly up the quadrant, till at length, spent and breathless, she was cast out again, jetsam from that wonderful tide into a backwater in Vigo Street, where voluntary movement was once more possible. What the time was she had no idea. She scarcely knew even who she herself was, except in so far that she was just one drop of hot, victorious English blood that flowed through the heart of London. 
she made her way through the deserted streets of Mayfair into Park Lane, and finding she had left her latchkey at home, rang for a long time before she could get the door open to her. When she succeeded, it was still necessary to establish her identity. Dodo found that it was already half-past two. Outside the streets were beginning to grow empty, and the crowd, surfeited with rejoicing, was moving homewards. And then, all at once, a wave of reaction, as irresistible as the wave of exultation had been, swept over her. The war was done, and the victory was gained, and along the thousand miles of battlefronts, no gun that night boomed into the stillness, no shell screamed along its death-bearing way. Since the news had arrived, no thought but that had visited her. She had burned in the glorious fire of sheer, exultant thanksgiving. Now, as she undressed, her thoughts turned from the past and the present towards the future. There would be no more convoys of wounded arriving at Winston. There would be no more pinning up the record of the advancing Allied armies. In a few weeks, or at the utmost in a few months, the wards would be empty, and the work which had occupied her to the exclusion of all that had made her life before would be finished. The smell of iodoform and Virginian tobacco would fade from the house, there would be no beds along the drawing-room walls, and no temperature charts hanging above the beds. There would be no more anxiety about the men who lay there, no repression of the rowdy, no encouragement of the despondent, no soothing of pain, no joy in recovery, no watching of the wounded creeping back into vigor again, no despair at seeing others lose their hold on life. Now that the four years of war, intense and absorbing with all their heartbreaks and exultations, were over, they seemed to have passed like the short darkness of a summer night, and here was the day dawning again. What would fill the empty hours of it? The reaction passed, though the question remained unsolved, and once more Dodo recollected the stupendous event that had sent the millions of London shouting along the streets, and then her eyes, bright with excitement, grew dim with a storm of sudden tears. End of chapter 11 Recording by Crow Girl Redcrowblog.wordpress.com